Our modern sexually immoral culture lauds unrestrained sexual sin as freedom. They will steal your daughters to become priestesses in their worship. They will claim that the ways of Christ are tyranny and slavery. We know that those who are in Christ are true free men and women. There is protection and freedom for women who have godly men as their covenant head. There is true freedom in the marriage bed. But the constant and relentless discipleship of this wicked culture will try to win your daughters to the old pagan ways. These old pagan ways require sacred prostitution or cult prostitution to be considered holy. They will require that your daughters comply with the sins of society to be accepted. If your daughters reject this pagan sacrament of cult prostitution, they will be accused of blaspheming the demon gods of our day. To give you an idea of what we are facing, let me read the following excerpt from the book Histories by the ancient historian Herodotus, describing the worship of the goddess Aphrodite required by all women in Babylon. The foulest Babylonian custom is that which compels every woman of the land to sit in the temple of Aphrodite and have intercourse with some stranger at least once in her life. Many women who are rich and proud and disdain to mingle with the rest drive to the temple in covered carriages drawn by teams and stand there with a great retinue of attendants. But most sit down in the sacred plot of Aphrodite with crowns of cord on their heads. There is a great multitude of women coming and going. Passages marked by line run every way through the crowd by which men pass and make their choice. Once a woman has taken her place there, she does not go away to her home before some stranger has cast money into her lap and had intercourse with her outside the temple. But while he casts the money, he must say, I invite you in the name of Melita. It does not matter what sum the money is, the woman will never refuse, for that would be a sin, the money being by this act made sacred. So she follows the first man who casts it and rejects no one. After their intercourse, having discharged her sacred duty to the goddess, she goes away to her home, and thereafter there is no bribe, however great, that will get her. So then the women that are fair and tall are soon free to depart, but the uncomely have long to wait because they cannot fulfill the law, for some of them remain for three years or four. There is a custom like this in some parts of Cyprus. So the question we must ask is, what must we do as fathers to protect and prevent our daughters from becoming temple prostitutes? What actions must we take to disciple our daughters away from becoming the Lady Folly of Proverbs and instead to become Lady Wisdom? The King's Hall Podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, gentlemen, welcome back to this part two episode, the King's Hall Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Kahn. We're joined today by the sweetest of sweet psalmists. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. I thought a serious intro for once. <laughs> for once. Just and then false. False. Uh, Brian Sauvé, welcome to this show. Thank you so much, Eric. It is good to be here, and I hope that I can just sweeten this experience for you. Everything is sweet. Yeah. Speaking of, what's the opposite of sweet, Dan? Bitter. Bitter. This bitter yeah. story that we just read. Oh, yeah. oh I thought you were saying Dan. <laughs> it's like, wow, it's like, this is going to get really sad. I, I got to admit, he had me in the first half. You got to save the punchline. Yeah. Have, have you guys ever funny. read any Herodotus? No, that's yeah, have disgusting. You read Herodotus? I mean, only like excerpts. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember reading this portion uh, when I was going through the histories last year. And that was like, uh, that was shocking. Yeah. Sheesh. Like every woman was required to go to the temple. And whatever guy threw her money, she had to take it well, and then have intercourse with him what's crazy about that dan is it's Ugh. absolutely disgusting it reminds me of a saying of brian's it's like going to a truck stop and licking the toilet mm, i mean that's mm. how gross that is yeah <laughs> i think about truck stops you know i do like to describe in shocking detail yes you, you know do. who i got that from is my guy thabiti on interesting you remember that article he wrote yeah ron burns bd yeah. bob back when he wrote the article about how we need to reclaim gag our gag reflex, reflex about, yes. and you know what rare thabiti on dub 
yeah. on that article. That, that doesn't really happen anymore. He probably regrets it at this point. But It, it yeah. is interesting, though, because you think about that temple that Dan was describing. It's disgusting. Yeah. I think the name of that temple was actually just Tinder. That's what they called it. Oh, is Tinder. that what it was? You get, yeah, you get the yeah, except, yeah, except at the temple of Artemis or whatever it was, uh, Aphrodite, they the women actually received payment. Yeah, true. Uh, so... Yeah. It's also what was um, it's it's interesting to see how nothing's changed because on the uh, on the apps you know you swipe right swipe left from what I hear and a lot of the girls were getting swiped left. Does that mean for three or four years? That's yeah. bad. I think that means I reject you, Does, right? Doesn't it? I'm not sure. I actually don't know. <laughs> but it's gross. but I've heard people say like swipe right. So all those girls had to sit there for three four years before someone would choose her. That yeah. is, that's both degrading and demoralizing. Yeah. Ugh. Maybe yeah, they were the lucky ones, though. Yeah. I, I was mean, yeah, say what, what do you, this is, it's man. all horrible. It's horrible. Dan, thank you for starting us <laughs> yeah, off. Thanks, it's a Dan. horrible <laughs> <way>. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dan. Uh, we did also, by the way, you know, encourage people to follow on Patreon. We've had a lot of good discussions there. We've got a, a Discord channel that we've got going now. But the other thing that I, I just want to encourage people to join in the discussion. Because um, there was a lot of discussion about Brian's comments about the Talmud. Was there really? <laughs> Very insightful. I, I was I was shocked. Nobody emailed me or like tweeted at me about it. That's where the, that's where they went. Yes. It was to the Discord. It was straight to uh, Discord. How based come Discord? Well, one, I didn't know there was a Discord. And two, <laughs> how do I get access to it? Dan, you didn't even know. That's because we just started it. My guy okay, Ben Garrett. Right, okay, right. ben, Ben's got. We'll get, don't worry. Up. I got, I know a guy. This is this is the first I'm hearing about this. This, this is the <laughs> tiny dancer. <laughs> Hold me close. She died. She died. It's <laughs> the first I'm hearing about this. All right, we should probably get into it, guys. All right. So in the last episode, we looked down the dark and filthy big city alley of OnlyFans yep. and shined a flashlight on the absolute dark and disgusting work of evil that is enslaving our men and women. And it's uh, making impotent men and making prostitutes of our daughters. Not hopefully literally, but they're trying to. Uh, just to give you like a rundown of how big is this, is the scope of this issue. Just with OnlyFans, it has 320 million monthly visits. And it means OnlyFans gets around 3.84 billion visits per year. I think you said most of these people are married men. 89 point something, something percent yeah. are married men. OnlyFans is the 104th most popular website in the world and the 52nd most popular website in these United States. So there are two images that we talked about last week that stand in opposition to one another in, in the Proverbs. So our goal is to father our daughters in such a way so that they hate the one image of Lady Folly and reject her with perfect hatred and zealously love Lady Wisdom, the, the other image. So our goal in this episode, we're not going to rehash uh, everything that we talked about last week, but we're really, our goal is to get very, very practical yeah. and talk about how fathers can pursue this aim through a couple of different ways. And so I guess practically speaking, what do we need to do or not do to encourage our daughters to be lady wisdom and not lady only fans folly. Like just starting off the bat, big umbrella question. Yeah, Dan, I think part of it, uh, we were recently doing an episode on the Hard Men podcast, Patreon exclusive, and we were talking about bringing women home, like getting your wife in the house to work. One of the things that we talked about there is that you really need to cast a vision for your daughters and your wives about the glory of femininity, motherhood, womanhood. So really casting this vision of what are you for mm -hmm. so that that's the thing that she really loves. You understand the power that you have through creating human souls in your womb. This is glorious and this is good. And so I think, you know, you could go into some of the really small details like husbands and fathers. Do you treat your wife as glorious yeah. in those roles? Mm. Right. If you if you're a mom and you say, hey, I want my daughter to not be an OnlyFans woman. Um, I want her to see the glory of motherhood. Do you model it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because you do have a really good picture there of Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom yeah. with those two pictures. Lady Wisdom being the godly woman that yep. is uh, the oikodespot you know, of her house. She's yeah. a household manager. She is growing eternal souls in her body yeah. and feeding them and caring for them and nurturing them. 
and helping her husband in his mission, you know, to take dominion over all the earth. And then you have this lady, Folly, the OnlyFans lady, or the, just a se- sexually promiscuous woman. She doesn't yeah. have to only post on OnlyFans, but her womb is a womb of death. Yeah. And it's inhospitable to life. Yeah, and true. she just enslaves everywhere she goes yeah. and spreads disease. And I think that's the right place to start. And it's 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 way upstream where some of you aren't married yet who are listening, man, and you're, you're listening to this aspirationally. You want to be a godly husband and a father, as you should, long. And, uh, you know, there's this, this, this fork of the road laid in front of you when you start to notice the shape of reality, where you, you, you look at the, the divorce statistics, the statistics about the absolute tsunami of female sexual sin and the worthlessness of most women in terms of marriage prospects. Like, you live in a world where 90-plus percent of women are not going to be marriageable, godly women as a, a prospective mm-hmm. wife for you. So it's very important that you don't take the, the left fork of the road towards the black pill, like a lot of gurus and, and men on Twitter will tell you, well, so don't marry, avoid pregnancy. Rollo Tomasi was saying this nonsense this week yeah. in one way, and then you've got, like, Jeff Younger saying it another way. But don't take the black pill, but at the same time, do be wise, because you have to understand that the most powerful feminine image in the life of your daughters is going to be their mother. They, you, you must do everything you can to, A, marry a godly woman, but then B, and I think we should talk about this a little bit, to how do you help your wife as a, a husband and a father become a godly woman? Because you should. And, and there's a huge part of the church that will tell you that you shouldn't really be doing that. No, that's a huge duty that you have. So what do you guys think about that? How can men you know, help their wives? How can a man help his wife grow into godliness and, and put to death the works of the flesh that are common to women? Well, I, I, so I think that one of the ways that you can do that is, like Eric said earlier, is to celebrate what is good, good true, and beautiful yeah. You know, with being a mother. Uh, so I, I'm trying to decide how personal to get. I, I'll get a little bit personal. So my wife was raised to celebrate corporate, the corporate ladder, like to become a career woman yeah. was the ideal that she was discipled in. Yeah. So after, you know, after we got married and we became convinced and convicted of some of the principles that we've talked on the King's Hall, you know, this is some years ago. And um, my goal became to win my wife to a new idea of what is good, true and beautiful and that was not the corporate world. It was not the corporate world. It was not career advance, advancement. It was not delaying having children, but was, in, in fact, what we're talking about, bringing her into the home to cause the home to flourish, to become more than, like Chris Wiley says, a hotel room that's like where you watch Netflix and go to sleep at night. Yeah. But to actually make the space a place where eternal souls are raised, human beings that will live forever uh, in worshiping the one true and living God and to nurture that that home and to build that home. And so I think one of the things that you have to do is, like Eric said, is to celebrate what is good, true, and beautiful. And, yeah. and, and I mean, this sounds obvious probably, but I've been in counseling situations to where the husband starts complaining mm-hmm. that his wife isn't bringing home an income. Oh, yeah. Like that, that she's at home, she's raising kids, she's homeschooling, and and he says, well, I, I don't understand. Like, all of the work is on me. All the provision is on me. Why don't you go out and work? Get an income. <laughs> yeah. Get a part-time job. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you have something modeled by, you know, to your children that is saying, like, uh, what mom is doing is actually a disgrace. It's, and it's, it's not helping the family. Yeah. It's, it's less than what she yeah. should be doing. It's easy mode. It's not hard. It's not worthy work. Right. She's not fulfilling her full potential. She's leaving us in a lurch. She's a lazy. I mean, all of that is being imaged by that, being modeled by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Dan, I would kind of piggyback on that. I would connect kind of two principles. One, Paul said, and by the way, this is kind of what happens with practical advice: is you you just get back to some really basic things. Mm-hmm. So, number one, Paul said that bad company corrupts good character. Well, the opposite is also true: that if you want your wife to be a godly woman who sees the glory of motherhood and of being in the home, and not the OnlyFans woman. Well, she also needs to be surrounded by women who appreciate that glory as well. Yeah. One of the unique things about being in a, a community in a church like Refuge 
you have it taught from the pulpit, you have husbands reinforcing it, and then I think maybe one of the most powerful things is the ladies, you'll see it, when they're new to the church, they come in and they see the glory of these other women. They they are like a beacon of hope in a dark world. And so we get these young people from broken backgrounds, and they see Lexi and Amelia and my wife and other ladies who are further down the path, and they're gloriously adorned. They love their husbands. Mm-hmm. They're sweet. They're gentle. Yep. They're, they're kind. And I think it's it's the opposite of the truck stop licking of the toilet. Yeah. Okay. Go have a great meal though. Yeah. And then you sit at that great meal and you go, "Wow, I want more of this. This is beautiful. This is glorious." So I think just saying like, who is surrounding your wife? Yeah. And then I would I would also tie that to the media world though. Like yeah. what people on Instagram, like is it girl wash your face that your wife is getting all are the time? You, are you monitoring that? Yeah, are you, you monitoring what she's listening to? Mm-hmm. Uh music. Like if you go on Spotify today, 99% of what's on there is hot garbage. Yeah, it's hellish. And 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 it's modeling a certain way of viewing the world and seeing the good life. Yeah. So ask yourself, what what songs is my wife, my daughter listening to? What kind of good life are they portraying? Mm-hmm. Right? So often the good life that's portrayed is kind of like, you know, think about country music. It's like they're clearly shacking up. You know, she wakes up with my T-shirt. They're not married. Knocking boots. Knocking boots. That whole kind of genre where yeah. it's really trying to soften the hard edges of sin. It's even recently I've seen a lot of the country music culture has been, with female country music artists, has been adopting the folly of the black hip-hop culture. Oh, yeah, big time. The, the, the degeneracy of that whole world. And like fusing the two, and, and not only is it bad music, which it obvious like country ladies rapping to country song soundtracks is is stupid, but it's it's they're also adopting the the moral vision of that whole you know inner city black hip hop culture, which is just absolute degeneracy. So I think it is important that we that husbands know like no, it is your job and your responsibility. You have real authority in your home to tell your wife, you may not listen to that anymore. And not to treat her like a child, but that is your responsibility. Yeah, and how many times in counseling, right, when when you hear from a, a lady, maybe, you know, this is nothing personal, but I've heard these in the past. Not It's nothing personal and timely now, but uh, in the past, like women will come in and they'll say, you know, I, I want a divorce. Why? Well, my husband isn't emotionally satisfying me. My first question is, what trough are you eating from? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't from talking to Lexi. Yeah, where are you getting the, your your idea of what a successful husband is to look like? Right. Of what he should be doing. So, so I might I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Okay, okay. with yeah. a really tough question. So there was a Twitter comment, uh, or maybe it was Facebook. I can't mm-hmm. recall today, where there was some accusations mm-hmm. lobbied against us. Mm-hmm. That never Specifically, happens. Eric. No, 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 no. against us in mm-hmm. general. And I'm not going to quote the tweet because it was actually quite crass, Mm -hmm. but I will just kind of give you an objection to what we're talking about right now. Sure. Where this person said, it seems like the way that we relate to women is that their responsibility is to fill our stomachs and then to uh, have sex with. Yeah, I know. And and that's it. And so is, is that true? Is that false? What would you, would you add to anything? No. No, that's it's not. It. That's, it's, no, I'm. No, it's that's not all true. For. <laughs> Sorry, I said no. You asked. No is not an. <laughs> no, no, no. I asked a game. lot of yeah, questions. It didn't help. <laughs> no, that's that is that is incorrect because what that is 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 actually that's what the world is saying about women. That's what, what, do you, the, what, what do you mean? The world is saying that women are just objects that exist for the the satisfaction of men. And I know feminists think that they're saying literally the opposite of that, but they're not. But they're actually not. They're enslaving women in corporate worlds that are actually ought to be the agon of men that ought to be the the field of battle for men and they say women this is for you what they actually end up being is enslaved to just different men i mean almost always cuz nature will prove out nature will show up they're almost always going to be enslaved corporately to some man who is not their husband who is using them for labor right and then <laughs> what else and now your body and your sexuality is your real power let's commodify that in the world and uh, let's get you to treat it like a bartering chip. So basically, the feminist vision results in a world where women are turned into objects, economic tokens, and sexual objects, where what we're saying is that woman is the glory of man and that she was created to be a fruitful vine 
she's created to be this life-giving green thing at the center of the home. And therein, she will find great satisfaction, great legacy in her offspring and her children's children. They will rise up and call her blessed. She'll be loved, protected, and cared for and provided for by a husband. She will respect and be satisfied in his love. And it will be a beautiful picture where she flowers into the fullness of that which God created her for. This is the opposite of degrading. Yeah, Dan, with these comments, what I think is happening is we we paint these masterpieces, and God paints a masterpiece of the glory of womanhood. And these comments to me and the feminists and everybody else who makes them is like the people who go into the Met and throw urine and fecal matter on a painting, and they say, this is what you mean. Oh, yeah, is this what you mean? I, but really what they're trying to do is degrade the glory of God. And, you know, I get it all the time, too. I'm like, I'll say something like, I think that women— and men who are in their peak sexual years are in for trouble if you just put off marriage until you're 30. Yeah. Instead, what you should do is get married at a relatively young age, find a godly spouse, get married, start making babies. And people will say, oh, so you're Christian Taliban, you believe in child brides and rape? And you're like, well, this is the throwing fecal matter on the glorious thing. It doesn't even, you don't, it doesn't even deserve a response, which is why most of the time on Twitter, like, we just ignore it. Right, right, But right. it demonstrates... The, the 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 paucity of their thinking. It demonstrates how shallow their thinking is, where th- they're immediately going to this enormous uh, straw man picture of what you're saying. And it just shows that our culture has successfully catechized most people to absolutely not get the glory, the real glory of womanhood. I mean, they would be catechized and discipled into thinking that a woman's true value is in as much as she can be like a man. Basically, yeah. Basically, uh, and so I think and about. Go ahead. I would just interject. Yeah, it, this has been said before by other people, but it's the tricking her into thinking that she can be the worst kind of men. Oh, like yeah. promiscuous men, mm-hmm. yep. foul men, unclean men, yep. and that will be her glory. It's not a glory. No, it's, it's a not. Truck stop toilet. Yeah, it's a truck stop toilet. And so I think, like husbands, practically speaking, talking to a lot of Christian men, maybe you uh, have certain. You know, there's a gap between where you truly believe that your wife ought to be and where she is. And this is just true of all people. This is not like I'm not being insulting here. There's a gap between where I want to be and where I am. This is just discipleship. Well, you actually have a responsibility, men, to lead your wife, to wash her in the water of the word. This is Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, where Paul's saying basically, husband, you have a Christ-like role in the home to see your wife conform to the image of Christ. So I think if my wife is for just getting really practical, let's say that she doesn't dress femininely, she dresses immodestly, or, you know, so what I ought to do then, because I want my daughters to have a vision of glorious, godly femininity from the external to the internal, I might sit her down and say, look, I'm, I'm going to provide you with a budget, and I want you to buy some dresses, some modest feminine dresses, and I would like you to make this your normal daily attire. That's a reasonable request made patiently with, with the resources needed being provided, and then encourage her in that. Praise her beauty, right? And, but then keeping in mind 1 Peter 3, when Peter's talking about the conduct being the most important, the, the internal glory, he's, he talks about not letting her, exter- her adorning be external, all about clothing and jewelry and all of these other things, but to have an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit— and then I think what happens when you're in a community where the external femininity is on display, like where the women are in dresses, they look, you know, they look modest and beautiful and chaste, and they, you know, they don't have butch shaved headed haircuts. And so the externals on display, maybe they're wearing head coverings and, you know, all of that kind of thing. Well, what that then gives you is actually one of the most, what I found to be one of the most powerful discipleship teaching polemical devices for um, helping to disciple ladies is actually then to say, does your internal adornment right now match the external? Mm. Okay, you're wearing a head covering. Are you respecting your husband or are you nagging him continually? So, so what, what did you call it one time? Just a pretty little lie? Yeah, Otherwise, a, you're wearing a pretty lie on your head if you wear a head covering while you're nagging your husband all the time. You don't respect him. Our goal with our wives is that we would shepherd them and provide them with a context where they can be shepherd, like a good church, and surrounded by good models in other women, so that the internal and the external could both come into alignment with the glory of lady wisdom, 
And when those things, even when one of them is in place but the other's not, it gives you this powerful, hey, like taking your wife aside after where she's being disrespectful to you publicly or in the home or whatever, you can say, look, you're, you're dressed like a glorious feminine woman, but how is your inward adorning right now? Right. Like you have this authority and responsibility in your home. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, to remember is that one of the qualifications for pastors is that they're able to teach, which this is one of the manly roles, um, you know, washing your water, Brian, you mentioned, washing your wife in the water of the word. Yeah. Uh, one of the roles you have is is to teach, and proverbially, you know, looking at Lady Wisdom, I would say one of the things that is really helpful over the years, both in counseling and in my personal relationships is learning how to have those direct conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be, like as Brian was saying, I've, I've had these in the past where, you know, maybe you're telling a story in public and you get corrected a hundred times during the story. Mm-hmm. And then I might say afterwards, I noticed that you tr- corrected me 12 times in that story. It, can we not do that, please? Yeah. That's disrespectful. Oh, that's better than like, hey, it seems like you know the story better than me. Why don't you just yeah, tell passive it? Passive-aggressive <laughs> <Yeah>. effeminacy. <laughs> but, but it is amazing how— Pri- Yeah, privately, privately, directly, calmly, patiently, lovingly correct. Yeah, just those simple, direct conversations. Uh, again, we have those with our, our sons. I don't have daughters, but if, if I did, hey, we're not going to wear that. Here's the deal. When you wear a cami with no bra yeah. and you try to go out in public, here's what's happening. Yeah. All the men are like, oh, yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're tempting men to lust. It probably signifies impure motives on your part, wanting attention, all these things. Yeah. This is why we dress this way. You don't have to be mean. No. You don't have to be tyrannical. You go back to the word of God. You call them to what they're, you know, mm-hmm. called to obey. And I- I'm telling you, those simple, direct conversations have amazing it's, power. It, it's like, you know, how many men who are dissatisfied with the sexual relationship they have with their wife have calmly, directly said, Hey, here's a passage in Scripture. It says that this is for mutual protection. I, I'm asking you to increase the frequency of our sexual relationship. It would it would be a help to me. Can we do that? Like, how many men have actually sat down and had that private, direct, loving, calm request? Because a lot of the time, men are frustrated or they're bitter against their wives for not being and doing you know the things that they believe they should. But have they asked? Have they been direct? Have they led? Well, and it's very interesting, Brian, because this is kind of the, you know, staying away from OnlyFans, this this warped sexuality, also means we need the positive, mm-hmm. which so it's a tie-in with creating a, you know, a garden in your own marriage bed. Yeah. But yeah, in counseling, it's so interesting because all guys are like, oh, my wife, you want to have sex with me, blah, blah, blah. They're all frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, have you thought about a direct conversation? So a lot of times in counseling, they will have that conversation in front of me. Yeah. You would be shocked how many times the wife will say something like, really? I want to have more sex, too. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Or they didn't even know. Or they didn't know they that that's aware. what their husband wanted. Because they're not men. They, they, do, you can't, they can't read your mind. Just like a lot of women are frustrated with, their, with the way their husbands communicate. And they're thinking all these things that the men are trying to communicate with their act. With their, like, on, hey, I noticed that you got home and you sat on the couch and you just kind of like sat there for like 30 minutes after dinner. Didn't you know that there was this to be done, this to be done, this to be done? And he's like, literally, no, I didn't. It didn't was, even cross my I mind. I was in my nothing box. I was in my nothing box. That's what I tell him. She's yeah, like, yeah. you're what? Nothing you're box. You're nothing box. Yeah, Dan, I what is think, a nothing box? It's where, where men go when there's nothing. I mean, I don't <laughs> know just, how to describe it. You don't think about anything. You just... To use... Old, I live in my nothing box too often, probably. <laughs> It's like, Dan, what are you thinking about? It seems like you're dim- you know, thinking deep thoughts, and I'm thinking about potted meat. <laughs> that I was, was wondering if you had any more of that potted meat. <laughs> <laughs> Biscuits and mustard. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a space yeah. that men have, and it's, it's absolutely glorious. It's, women don't you have You just it. don't think about anything. Yeah, women don't Women have absolutely it. do not have a nothing box. It is not a room in their mental house. It's it basically the exist. way that men, to use an old computer programming term, like they're defragging. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You're totally. basically like distilling everything down, and your mind is working, but it's not like a conscious. Yeah. Every once in a while, my wife, when we have this conversation about the nothing box, she goes, this is what I've been thinking about. And then she starts talking and doesn't stop For a because long time. of all of the things she's thinking about. And I'm just like, man, life's rough. I'm a lady. <laughs> I was wondering if I, you had any more of that I just went meat. right back to my <laughs> nothing box. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah That's yeah. why I think that, by the way, those memes are so funny where the guy's like laying in bed thinking uh-huh. and she's like, I, I bet he's thinking of other women. And he's like, why did the Packers trade Brett? 
or <laughs> Brett Favre, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. He's like the Mothman is a demon. So a lot of what we've been talking about actually it has to do with the the fact that people were created to be imagers. Yeah, like we were we were meant to relate to images. So so what I mean is like you know Eric, what you had said when new couples come to church and they you know the the wife sees all of the women in our church and they're modestly adorned and they're quiet and gentle in spirit and things like that and they're one to a vision they're imaging something so what sort of categories for our wives and our daughters um do we need to really direct them towards so that they have positive images that they can then walk after yeah i think we we've talked about pastors obviously having pastors church leaders who teach these things but I think it's also important to remember uh, one of the qualifications for eldership in the diaconate as well is that their wives are respectable women. So one of the things you're going to do when you set, you know, our wives before the congregation as leaders, you're saying to these ladies, become like these ladies. Uh, one of the things I will say in the church today, uh, there's been so many experiences I've had where the, the elder's wife or the pastor's wife is the one causing all the problems. So it's like, well, in churches, like you've really got to evaluate that. And then when you go to churches and you say, I want to be a member here, can you look at the ladies for, for the context of this conversation? It includes the men too. But can you look at the ladies and say, I want my daughters to be like that woman? That's actually a really tall order and tall qualification. Yeah. Now, again, in our church, uh, I don't have a daughter, but if I did, very gladly could say, I want my wife to become like the elders' wives. Yeah, and, and it, it does come back to this. All of this conversation we've been having is about the nature of, of the way God made humanity. We're imitators. Like, he made them to be imagers on the earth. In the earthly realm, human beings are God's imagers, meaning they communicate and reflect truths about God as they live their lives. They, they, they teach about his nature. And also as imagers, we bring his image, we bring the world into alignment with his image. Right, we order, we bring you know order from chaos. We build, we take dominion. All this is in the nature of man, and and one thing that means because we were made to look and reflect the image of God out into creation is that beholding something is very powerful, mm. humanly speaking. There's a theme that runs through the prophets, the whole really the whole scripture, all of the scriptures. G.K. Beale has a book on this, I think, uh, about imaging that you become that which you. Behold that which you worship. So if we behold the wrong image, we will become like that image. If men behold a false image of maleness, they will become like that false image of maleness, and then they will reflect that out into the world, and they'll start to bring the world into alignment with that false image. This is true of our wives, our daughters as well, is that it? this is why so much of that Instagram music stuff is so important is in the church community and culture, if they're looking at and beholding a false image of femininity, then they will become like it, and then they will impose that image on everything else. They'll impose it on the world. So, so I think it's important here that we talk about the practical implications of peer culture, teachers, uh, some of the ways that, and I'm, again, practically, yeah, how, Brian, how does this play out? I love what you're saying about imaging the glory so it makes me think of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, so the glory that you behold, are being transformed into the same image from, from one, one degree, degree of glory to another. Yep. So you have to really think about what glory is set before you and your people. Yep. Because we will be transformed. What is the glory? So, yeah, let's talk about school and peer culture a little bit. And and now I think we're we're getting into the kids, right? Not our daughters, yeah, daughters. not just our wives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. raising daughters. <laughs> Everything that we're going to say here does apply to how you help disciple your wife. But talking about our daughters, why is it so important that we think about education in the context of our daughter's education when we're thinking about teaching them to love lady wisdom and hate lady folly? Man, that's such a big question. I think it gets into a lot of stuff we talked about with St. Brennan's, but what is education? It is formation of people. Mm -hmm. It is a setting before them of glory. So their peers, their teachers, a student will become like his teacher. You really have to actually ask, what do my teachers think is glorious? 
that's what, a good question. Yeah. What are they setting before mm-hmm. these students as glorious? Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I think uh, St. Brennan's something like this, where it's like, I can fully trust that Kevin Love and the other teachers are setting the same glory that I would set before my children on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian had a really good quote in a sermon many years ago where he was talking about teachers, and he said, teachers don't leave their gods at the door. Yeah, they don't. And so they bring them into the classroom. So that's that, And that's what you're saying is, you yes. know, you see, we've all seen the Facebook posts and the Instagram reels of some, quite honestly, insane teachers. Oh, yeah. And what they're indoctrinating these people's children to believe. Yeah. They, you know, that teacher didn't leave their God at the door, and they're beholding something in their mind that is glorious, and it's actually disgusting. And well, they're imaging. And a lot of and it they is, are imaging mm-hmm. it, yes. is actually subtle. So I go back to the time when I was in high school. It wasn't this as much, this in-your-face LGBT stuff. However, uh, like when I was 18, I'm getting ready to leave high school, and I'm interested in my now wife. And I, I was saying to my friends and my teachers, like, what are your—they're saying, what are your plans? And I said, I, I want to get married. Every single person there was like, what a horrible life-ruining decision. So you ask Stupid. yourself, what do they think about motherhood and what I should have been doing with my— No, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah. Spend your 20s. Have fun. Sow, sow your wild oats. She well, should go to college, get a bunch of debt, get a useless degree to be yeah. enslaved to the corporate ladder. Yeah, and so you start thinking about that, and you're like, even though they, it wasn't like as overt and disgusting as it is today, when you actually think about it, that's repulsive what they're trying to teach you and aim your life at. So you really have to think through those things. The other thing is, would be obviously like who are your, what boys is your daughter hanging out with at school? Because here's the other thing. Christian school is not the automatic answer. There's no. lots of Christian schools with bad kids in them. Like that should be yeah. taken for granted. Yeah. So even even at St. Brendan's, like this probably ruffles feathers, but we're very careful about who is in that school because they're surrounding our children on a daily basis. We reject so many applicants. In fact, I think we just recently restricted it just to membership of our church. Yeah, yeah, because it's we've such had a so serious many problems. Yeah. It's another reason why you need to build, like, people building schools. You need to build your school not to be, um, you know, addicted to outside money. Build your model so it's, you're not addicted to outside money so that money doesn't become the, the worm on the hook to let in degenerate peers who are going to disciple your children into the image of hell. It, it, like, this, all of this stuff is so basic but when you when you think about the gap that exists between often even the knowledge that a lot of Christians have and the way they're living, you could ask them, how important is it that your children have peers to imitate who are godly and not utterly degenerate? And they'll be like, oh, it's so important. But then you look at the way that they're ordering their kids' friends, the friends they're allowing them to have, Maybe schools just they're allowing them to go to. It. Absolutely. Uh, even even homeschool families do this. They're like homeschooling, and then they make friends with all the neighborhood kids, and they let un, they start letting them hang out with them in their house. All of a sudden, they're letting them play video games and play with the smartphone with them. And pretty soon, it's like, yeah, your 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 uh, Logos Press uh, curriculum is great at home, but your kids are being imaged. Uh, they're 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 standing in the image and beholding the image of degeneracy. And so they are going to become that. They're going to love what is filthy, and they're going to hate what is good over time. It's slow, and it's subtle. So parents have to understand, fathers have to understand that you are going to have to wield more authority than the world will tell you is appropriate. You are going to have to be the father who other parents are frustrated with, and other parents will slander you and gossip about you. Be like, oh, they're the, they're the too good for us parents. Well, actually, yes. Yes, my, my home and, and what we're building in our home is too good for me to give my children to be imaged and discipled into the image of degeneracy. So, I mean, man, I think fathers are going to have to really grow a pair in how they think about the nature of their authority. This is your responsibility. You have real authority. You must wield it. Yeah, and it connects to another issue we're going to talk about here now, which is antinomianism. So take what Brian's saying, right, that you need to be a yeah. father who gives, let, let's be honest, gives basic commands according to God's law about how you should live. Well, let, what if you're in a gospel-centered T4G-style church? It's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 baby, just give them the gospel. You're an Acts 29 church where all the ladies are wearing skinny jeans and shorty shorts and 
and the pastor will say nothing about it. I, I'm sure people know what antinomianism is. Yeah, but spell it, it out. A, it's a big okay. A N T I. No, so, so antinomos <laughs> meaning against the law. It was coined by Martin Luther as a as a slanderous. Uh, it was insult. one of his zingers. Yeah, it was a zinger. Uh, but it, it it it's a formal denial of the third use of the law, which is to obey. Yeah. So, you know, that the law actually has application that you should then follow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. So There's anyway, an what I want to do to kind of talk about this section, antinomianism, I'm actually going to queue up a video. Which, I, really, guys, I really want to take my headphones off. I I'm going to tell video. you right now, this is probably my favorite <sighs> preaching clip of all time. And everybody's seen it. Everyone will already have seen it. But I, we want you to listen to it, listen to the whole thing, even if you're familiar with it, because we want to put it in a setting that will help you hopefully see some new things about the folly of certain church cultures that will absolutely set your daughters up, grease the skids for her to become an OnlyFans prostitute, or or other bad things for your for your sons as well. But listen to the whole clip. But it, it didn't take long um, before my passion for the gospel and and my passion to see lost men and women saved. Um, started to rub against or collide with the church. And, and so it wasn't very long, and, and I, I, won't, I, I can give you dozens and dozens of stories, but, but really one that kind of broke the camel's back where I decided if I was going to do this, I wasn't going to do it as a churchman because the church, more often than not, was an enemy of conversion and not its friend. I'll give you an example. Um, this turn in me, this break in me happened that God has been just disciplining me on ever since. Uh, occurred my freshman year of college when um, I randomly sat next to a, I'm a freshman in college, I'm sitting next to a 26-year-old single mother who's coming back to school to try to get a degree, never been to church, didn't know much about Jesus, didn't know, and so we began this ongoing dialogue uh, about the grace and mercy of Christ in the cross. And so um, me and some of my crew go over to her house and babysit her daughter. She's actually in an extramarital affair at the time with a married man. And, and so we've talked through that, the wisdom in that. Um, they, they, this is the relationship we had, just kind of serving her and trying to explain to her spiritual things. A friend of mine was playing at a church in the area, and, and so I asked her to come. He was a musician, and, and so I said, hey, a good friend of mine's in a band. He's playing. Um, why, why, don't you come, why don't you come hear him? And, and so she agreed. She thought it would be a concert. I knew better. It was shady. It was excellent. And um, she came with me, and, and we listened to Robbie play, and, and he was tremendous, just a real anointed guy. And then the, the minister got up, and he said, today I want to talk to you about sex. And so I immediately go, uh oh, this could be a problem. And, and he took a red rose, and he smelled it, and he showed how pretty it was, and then he threw it out into the crowd. He goes, everybody needs to smell this. There's about a thousand of us there, almost all of us college and high school. Smell the rose. I want you to smell it. I want you to touch it. I want you to see the texture in it. Do it, do it, and I'm going to teach. And, and then he began what honestly, up until this day, and this might have to do with my heart, I don't, I'm still wrestling, um, was one of the worst, most horrific handlings of what sex is and what it isn't that I ever sat through. It was fear-mongering at, the, at its best. It was, um, you don't want syphilis, do you? And everybody's smiling and having a good time until there's herpes on your lip, and you, right? And so I'm just thinking with Kim beside me, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and then as it wraps up, he goes, where's my, where's my rose? Where, where, where is it? Where's, where's my rose? And, you know, some kid came up, the rose is just completely jacked up, it's broken, the things are off, the petals are broken, and, and he lifts it up in his big crescendo. I mean, his point is to hold up that rose and go, now who would want this? Who would want this rose? And I remember feeling anger, like real, legitimate, I want to hurt him, anger. And it was all I could do not to scream out, Jesus wants the rose. That's the point of the gospel, that Jesus wants the rose. That he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ won. You're not even teaching the basics of our faith. Well, first of all, I that actually made me angry. I kind of got into it. <laughs> Did you get angry like you wanted to hurt him? I wanted to physically 
I, you should have seen. I actually filmed Eric. Did you really? At certain points, as he enacted what Matt Chandler was doing with his hands. Ugh. The thing is, I love how in that uh, in the whole thing, you know, Matt Chandler's famous for the whole "you're not David" thing, and yet in every story he tells like this, he is the hero. He's the hero. He's the white knight who's provoked at this pastor who just is falsifying the God by preaching literally what is absolutely true and undeniably so in scripture. I was actually thinking that the guy who gave the talk he's describing was pretty based. Like I Where, where's his speaker in film? Maybe we could get him. Yeah, you actually don't want I was syphilis. like Ben, can you get me a rose for Sunday? Because <laughs> oh, syphilis is bad. So uh, Brian, a, a couple terms I, I would like to unpack as we talk about this video. First of all, um White knighting, what is that? Because that is like going on to the nth degree in this, but just maybe for people who don't yeah. know or whatever, for for our sake, what, what is that? White knighting is a male, it's a disordered male behavior where the frame of image that you're referencing, the image you're living in light of, is not the image of authentic true masculinity in the face of Christ, but you're actually living within the glow of the feminine, and you're really imaging the feminine out. It's where men try to present themselves in such a way that will be appealing to the feminine nature, sinfully, in ways that makes themselves the hero, and actually ends up setting often uh, masculinity as the enemy. You see this in the replies of on Twitter all the time. You see it, I mean, just about everywhere. That's it, what Matt Chandler was doing, though, by the way. It's interesting because I, I sent this video to my brother, and he's he's a Christian, but he's not in our, like, camps. He doesn't know what, like, Young Restless and Reformed is, really. doesn't care. Kind of a blue-collar guy. So I sent him this video, and he goes, that guy seems like he would steal your girl. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he really is trying to win the favor of this 26-year-old woman in adultery. It's also interesting, I found, Dan, because... There is zero emphasis on the law of Christ. Um, he actually, if, if you watch the clip, he's actually laughing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's in adultery. Yeah, it's kind of this thing, whatever. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny that she's an adulteress. But then he gets to the pastor, and he's, like, going to pull out his big guns for yeah. this guy who's actually preaching the law. Can, can you play the other? I don't know if it's the right time, but the other clip. Yes. Just to show, see, th this this will demonstrate that what he's doing is white knighting. Because this other clip, yeah. see how he addresses male sin. I'm rolling the clip. Roll the clip. I'll tell you where I'm primarily provoked. Primarily. I am primarily Primary. provoked in spirit, and don't get offended, ladies, by our men. <laughs> like, why are men going to bed these days with so much energy? That's not what God designed you for. God designed you to go to bed tired. Why are you going to bed so strong? Why doesn't Jesus want the not tired men? We work hard men? at work for the glory of God. We pull into our driveway. We say a prayer. We go into the house. We love and serve mama. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> Why doesn't Jesus want the, the lazy men? Well, basically what this is, though, we can keep rolling it, but yeah. basically what this is, is he's he's virtue signaling to the women, yeah. because no doubt that church is all women. <laughs> and then later, he's like, hey, ladies, by the way, if you need encouragement, find me in my Instagram DMs. Okay, <laughs> rolling the video. Because the Bible is put on our shoulders by the Holy Spirit of God that our wives would look like well-watered vines, that they would grow in their gifting, that they would feel cherished and loved. And we get on the floor and we play with our kids and we tuck them in bed and we pray and we lead out spiritually in our homes. And then when everybody's down, we sit with mama some more, check on her heart, Kneel down pray and, and then her. go to bed exhausted, <laughs> wrung out for the kingdom of God. But that's not how so many men are going to bed. We got tons of energy. Right? And it's why so many of you are getting yourselves so jammed up because God has not designed you for a bunch of free time. Sorry. Imagine him preaching a sermon that sounded like this. You know, I am primarily provoked by all these women going to bed without respecting and serving their husbands. Ladies, have you had sex with your husband last night? How many nights has he had to go to bed without anybody sleeping with him? Did you make him lunch? Did it include a nice cookie? Did you smile Did you put at a him? note in it? Were you wearing a dress? What is up with the sweatpants, ladies? I am provoked by these lazy women not serving and respecting 
husbands. <laughs> Sorry, men, if you're offended. Sorry, men, if you're offended by this, but the ladies need to hear a hard word. Like, <laughs> you would have got freaking canceled. And this is the thing. A lot Great of our clip that out. <laughs> no, yes. A lot of our a lot of our listeners will hear both those clips, and because they've had their theological I'm out of breath. <laughs> had their theological frame set by the antinomian megachurch gospel-centered quote unquote culture of the last 20 years of especially Calvinist adjacent adjacent megachurchianity. Whew, I'm out of breath. They will hear about those clips. They're like, what's wrong with it? Because there's a lot of truth in what he says. There is truth there. The yeah. Lord Jesus Christ will save repentant prostitutes. I think what, of the woman course. at the well. Men should pour themselves out to yeah. serve their families. Of course. I think what's really interesting, what the dead giveaway in this clip to me is how he started. Where he's like, yeah. don't be offended, ladies. So so again, what what is this? It's white knighting. I'm, hey, ladies, ladies, are you paying attention? Watch me go hard at your men for you. Yeah. And, and, and the, Which would and, also actually, I would actually be okay with this if there ever existed a sermon where he went hard at the ladies. You need to go hard as a pastor or father or whatever at sins common to men and sins common to women. You, you have to go both directions. And, and what you would take away from this kind of teaching over time is a sense among the ladies that their sins actually aren't that bad. Or that they don't even have them. And, and, and that their biggest problem is low self-esteem. But that the main problem in their lives is that their men are not doing enough. They'll walk away going with, a, with an absolutely low view of their husbands, like, you didn't seem exhausted at the end of the night last night. You didn't kneel down and ask me how my heart was. You seem like you've got too much energy coming into the marriage bed. <laughs> Maybe hands off. Were you wrestling with the kids hard enough? And it's like, <laughs> you will get this picture, and it's a false image of the real problems with men and women, but it ends up absolutely doing a disservice to the women because instead of discipling them and warning them like the scriptures do of those sins common to women, just as it does with sins common to men, they walk away downplaying their own sin with excuse after excuse about why all of their problems are somebody else. It's yeah. their husbands. Well, it's men. And so, it creates lady folly within does. the church. Absolutely. So, Dan, I, I want to ask you. as a I am provoked! Brian is provoked. He's also breathless because he takes my breath away. That's from Top Gun. I Thank think. you, Eric. Um, but Dan, you, while that clip was playing, you said he was talking about, you know, then you go into the bed and you fall asleep. And I was like, that's not what I would be doing. Uh, but you said, what would you be doing, Eric? <laughs> Continue. Sex with my hey, wife. I was going to say, please plead the fifth. <laughs> no. It was too late. It was too, he did too not late. Plead he, the got fifth. he did not yeah. plead Golly. the fifth. But you said, mockingly, well, why don't you just fall down and worship her? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That's I, I, and I want to know why. Unpack that. Well, yeah. So if you just if you just back out and you were to give summary points of of that uh, outline, what he had just said, it was essentially a subverted uh, hierarchy is what he was contending for. Man, go out, exhaust yourself in your work, and then you come home and your goal. He even said serve the woman. Is to serve the woman's mission. That's mm -hmm. what you're doing. You're going home, make sure that you're helping her and serving her and taking care of the kids. And again, that's those are all good things. But for what purpose? For what purpose? So that you're exhausted and then you are helping uh, to prop up your wife as the head of the house is essentially what it sounded like to me. Because there was no, uh, you. I mean, just a contrast with the clips, not addressing women's sins or sins particular to women. Those are untouchable by the megachurch pastor, by the antinomian. And so what ends up happening is you have, if you don't, if women don't think they sin or their sins aren't that bad and their husbands are pieces of trash, then of course my desire is over my husband. Mm -hmm. Like, so I should be leading this yeah, thing. Yeah. The guy is a turd. So he doesn't do anything. He doesn't yeah. help me. Yeah. So it seems like to connect the dots here, what we're saying, and so correct me if I'm wrong, this antinomian gospel centeredness type preaching is cultivating both OnlyFans women, mm -hmm. ultimately, and beta men. And yeah, beta, beta men, men white so, night men. So, so what ends up happening, and we see this in the in the pagan world and in Christianity, is that when you have boss babe, when you have these these women that are that they think they're, I mean, right next to God, okay, as far as their authority, mm -hmm. and then they're continually told, and their men are continually told that they are weak that they are failing, that they're not doing enough to support their wife. What happens with the women is that they become dissatisfied with their beta husbands, yeah. 
and they leave. Mm-hmm. They initiate of absolutely divorce. Yeah, over eighty percent of divorces are initiated well, by women. And then, and a lot of times, what happens is then they post on Facebook about how I'm. It's a new. T- I'm, it, I need privacy in this time. I'm separating from my husband. What is everybody's first question? What did he do? Yeah, every time. Yeah, what did he do? Men do sinful things, but but really on the level to where. This I think when it gets to college educated women, it's like ninety percent are initiated by the college educated woman. Well, and this it's insane. This this teaching though was so common. I think he's even changed kind of his tune on this. But if you read Reforming Marriage early in the book, there's a sentence in there where Doug says like, "No matter what is wrong with your marriage, men, I want you to know it's your fault." Mm-hmm. And I think Foster talked to him about it, and they've talked about this on. I mean, like publicly. Yeah. And. You know, Doug has said, like, yeah, that's probably not helpful anymore. But you can say, ultimately, your marriage, men, you have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Sure. But there are situations where, you know, and I've saw them more and more in the last 10 years of counseling mm-hmm. where it was like, no, this woman might actually be a living nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then you read Proverbs and you're like, well, I mean. It describes women who are living nightmares in their home over and over who are destroying their homes. Like, relentlessly relentlessly so and it warns the young men against this type of woman and it warns the women not to be i mean over and over and over again what do we see in in this world of imagers and imaging is that men and women are both very prone to latch onto certain archetypes of false maleness or false femaleness and image them to their destruction and the world's destruction over and over and over what antinomian culture does and i think that it did this out of financial incentive uh, and I'll unpack that in a second. I think they did this out of financial incentive, is they downplayed all of those archetypal sins common to women, and they absolutely threw gas on the fire of the archetypal sins common to men, laziness uh, all the way to anger and rage and the sexually loose man, which are all terrible archetypes. I think they did this for financial reasons, because in the Christian world, especially in evangelical megachurchianity, uh, an astronomically dis- disproportional uh, number of the people in the pews are women, not men. So almost every church is skewed to where some m- far larger percentage of the people sitting there on a Sunday morning are women. So who are buying the books? Who's going to the conferences? Who's tithing and you know nagging their husbands to tithe? Who barely go to church? Who's saying, husband, come to church? What's well, the women? So the pastors that are selected by that process tend to be feministic white knight pastors and then those pastors, be, they've been selected because of their nature. They then go on to pander to the women to continue to please them, to keep the, the, the budget funded, to keep the books selling, to keep all that going. This is also why, by the way, a lot of leftist ideology politically has crept into those churches. Yeah, You saw Matt Chandler marching with BLM. Well, look at the way that particularly white women vote. It's a feminine frame. Yeah, they're voting in leftist tendencies unless they're married. Well, because they're manipulated by other men. But you have a lot of single ladies in these churches, and yeah, you look, again, you look, they tend to vote left. Yeah, they're like, don't you love immigrants? Let's open the borders. They're like, don't you love the poor? Let's pass legislation to steal from successful people unjustly, in an absolute unjust way, in order to fund and actually incentivize a culture of death. Let's do that. Women are easier to manipulate in that direction, which is why the 19th yeah. Amendment was a huge mistake. Like, we see voting patterns completely vindicate. I mean, this is this should be uncontroversial, but if women didn't have, you know, if the suffragette movement had failed, America today would be a far more Christian and a far more moral nation. And instead, what we got are is a tran- tranny story hour, drag queen story hour, and gay marriage as law of the land. That, that Women did that. And, and and the thing is, every everybody right now has an instinct who is discipled by this culture. I have the instinct too, that they all want me to say, and the men are responsible anyway, because the men are the ones who failed. They let the women go wild and out on the TL. All that happened, and wild so and, and everybody wants me to immediately shift it back to the men. And there's a there is a sense, of course, but I, I think it is men a- need to lead. But it, but but ev- that instinct is just evidence of the discipleship that we've had. We see it on Twitter, on social media all the time. If I post anything about women, they're like, "Well, what about the men?" Oh yeah, and 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 I, I think there's a point too for pastors where it's like, "Well, this sermon, you know, for Matt Chandler, it didn't end with a, by the way, ladies, don't be whores." No, he never he never threaded the needle on the third use of the law. No, and they're not going to. The, the other thing that I want to, maybe it's helpful, 
we also see in like these alt-right movements, Brian, you mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. that you can actually hit another ditch, though, which there are accounts out there that are like, I don't know, like they call themselves trad wife, but it's like basically the woman is not allowed to have a mind. She's a sex object. Oh, yeah. I don't even think we need to denounce that. It's stupid. It's heinous. It's horrible. It's failing but, in the same way. But for people in our camp, like what, what would the other ditch be and how do you warn people against it? Well, I mean, you have, again, lead with the glory, what you're talking about. Yes. The glory of femininity is well-rounded. Like, I intentionally use the word strong to describe uh, gl- glorious, godly femininity because the scriptures do. Her arms are clothed yeah, with strength. She's clothed with strength. She needs strength. She needs the kind of strength where she can lead and rule her own spirits, not be led by her emotions. That's strength. Uh, I-, I want our women to have a picture of godly femininity that is... Uh, wise, it, it has it has wisdom for the children, it has um, a strength to it, it has a resolve to it, and it has a softness to it, and it has a fruitfulness to it, and it has a beauty to it, has a quiet and gentleness to it. Like, the whole range of glory needs to be on display, and what what one side does is it it says that the glory is in the mud— but the other side, what you're describing, also then says that there isn't really glory. Men are the only glory. And women are basically, you know, subhuman idiots who just exist for this is where the Rollo Tomasi nonsense comes in. That's when you get He's women like are basically have a just vasectomy in your twenties. Yeah, just have they're just sex objects. Like, yeah, use them as you need, whatever, but throw them away. Historic Christian doctrine, and I would say it's just patriarchy. Um, understands the true glory of maleness and femaleness and and can put it up and say, image this. It's worth imaging. I think that's a really good point, maybe a good place to start wrapping things up for this show. Something Toby Sumter said recently at a family conference that really struck me. He said, listen, we're in the midst of a, a very heated culture war, but when kings and nations and armies go to war, what do they do? They lead with their glory. So to tie it into what Brian's saying, you lead with the glory of femininity, you lead with the glory of men, you acknowledge that the sexes are going to rise and fall together. Mm-hmm. They're made to be one flesh, and so we want to present both glories. Uh, Dan, closing thoughts from you as we start to wind this epic, epic episode down. Well, yeah, I think that just wrapping up a nice little bow mm-hmm. on our antinomian discussion, when you have this subverted sex relationship where the woman becomes the head of mm-hmm. her husband— what sort of daughters do you think that's going to produce? And I think it's going to produce what we've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what it's going to produce Yep, is more of what we have. The I-N-D-P-E-N-D, whatever, however you spell it, independent. I-N-D-P-E-N-D. Man, you know what I, I mean? Yeah, I can't. You uh, got to like D-E and I was like, in de- uh, wait. What happened to, I went to She got her own that? house. She got her own car. Two jobs. Well, anyway. Yeah, I can't believe I knew even that much that I got wrong. Is that wrong, a real song? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's why I remembered it because my <laughs> wife posted it. Anyway, uh, so the point is that you get you get what we have, and so stop it with the Just antinomianism. Repent, cut it out. Stop it. Don't go to those churches. It yeah. is poisoning the well at home. Mm-hmm. And so, preach. Our focus on our daughters should be affectionate encouragement to become like, not like Lady Folly, mm-hmm. but like Lady Wisdom. And you can't do that if you're going to an antinomian church. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to be honest. You can't just merely warn her from becoming like modern-day Lady Folly, but you have to actually become a positive model towards Lady Wisdom, who is a rare gem of our day. Modern Lady Wisdom adorns herself with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I know, I know. Mm. Pretty rare. That Pretty is a rare, rare gem Very today. Rare. Precious. I predict well, that it is precious. Twitter responses In God's to sight. this episode will prove it. Yeah. Training her to fear God and find favor instead of the way of death. The media she consumes, keep watch. The friends she has, be aware. The men and women that disciple her in school and the church should all point towards her being like the Proverbs 31 woman. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. So that's all for this episode of the Kings Hall Podcast. As a reminder, I know it's cutting it down to the wire, but we do have a conference. We do. 
but it's coming up. It's not too late. June eighth mm-hmm. through tenth. That's what yeah. I was gonna say. You yeah. guys stole it right out of my mouth. Yeah, nailed yeah. it. June eighth through tenth. There are limited seats available, so you can go to newchristenimpress.com. That's right. And you can order your tickets there. That's right. And gentlemen, I actually was working on the clothes for this show. Yeah. Oh, I love okay. it. Uh, I've screwed it up a few times. Yeah. So I've been practicing. So you've got it. Yeah. First okay. of all, I would encourage people, if you're not yet a Patreon supporter, yeah. go on Patreon and support the show. A lot of great exclusive content. Absolutely. Hey, Eric. I just, After hours. To, I just want to say, Jesus wants you to get the clothes right. He wants me to get the clothes right. So I've been practicing on this. So thank you for listening to the King's Hall. Until next time, men, stay frosty. Fight the good no, fight. Wait, act hey, like kings. That's not it. <laughs> that is the ah! that's it. <laughs>